Hello and welcome to the Houston Vineyard Podcast. We sincerely hope that this message is a blessing to you. Enjoy. We're, we're in this series on Ezekiel and Constructing Hope, and we're looking at, at the first week, we sort of looked how there was this warning towards Ezekiel. God gives a warning to Ezekiel about how hard what this job that God is giving to Ezekiel will be. And then immediately on the warning, the, the Spirit lifts him. So there's this, this idea of the mission of God, and then the Spirit of God are in play here. So God tells Ezekiel, here's the mission, and then here's the Spirit. And I, just Benny last week, did you guys get a chance to listen to Benny? Benny, I, I love Benny. He's great. Uh, here's one thing about Benny. It doesn't matter what you tell him to speak about, he's going to do what he wants. Uh, we had years of working together where we would build these series, and Benny's like, okay, Benny, you're plugged into week three, and then week three would come in, and he'd talk about whatever he wanted, and I was usually scheduled after him so that I could cover week three and four of the series, but what I loved about what Benny talked about is actually Benny's talking, when he talked about Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah, and specifically in that chapter 29, it is a contemporary of Ezekiel. Jeremiah is prophesying to the people of God that have been put into captivity in Babylon at the same time that Ezekiel is speaking to those that were left in Jerusalem. And so without Benny knowing what's going on, uh, and this is how the Holy Spirit works often, and I love it, is that he's sort of giving us the flip side of what's happening to the people of God that were sent into captivity. And so today we're going to look at, uh, we looked at the warning to Ezekiel. Today we're going to look at the warning to the people in Jerusalem, so the people of God. Uh, we'll be in chapter 7 and 11 of Ezekiel if you want to get situated with that. And, and we'll start with prayer. Father, you're good. Exceedingly good. We thank you. We thank you for your word, which is alive and applicable to our lives. We thank you for the incredible sacrifice that is your son, Jesus, and how it is through his death and life and resurrection that your word takes its proper perspective in our lives today. And Holy Spirit, we acknowledge you are here. You're here in this room with us. We can feel your presence. We know that you're with us where we are, and we ask you to speak to us today. We ask, you to, we, we ask that you would speak words of comfort or conviction where they are needed, and we ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Ezekiel gets this warning. Essentially, if we recap a little, uh, God tells Ezekiel, you're, you're great. You're faithful. No one else is. You're consistent. No one else is. And as a reward, uh, I'm going to send you to speak to my people. And cool. Like, everybody likes the reward. And then he says, but here's the warning. It's going to cost you everything. It's going to be incredibly difficult and painful because everything that the, the people I'm sending you to speak to deserve, you are going to pay for personally. And it's like, that's where you're like, God, thanks for the, the gift. Is there an exchange program? Like, do, do, is there a gift receipt? Can I take this back? Do I, like, how does this work? But every time that God invites 
Ezekiel into this obedience, the Spirit lifts him. And so Ezekiel doesn't have to do it on his own. He is, he is lifted by the Spirit to be able to do it. And, and now the warning comes to the people. This is Ezekiel begins to speak the warning of God to the people of God in Jerusalem. And again, context, part of the, the, the people of Israel have been taken into captivity in Babylon. And those that are left in Jerusalem feel like they've gotten away with something. Because everybody else got taken to Babylon. Like, hey, we're still in Jerusalem. We're good. Here's the issue. They weren't good. They weren't safe. And they weren't good. They did whatever they wanted, whenever they wanted, however they wanted. And they just sort of said, God, you understand. That whole obedience of your word and living a life that, is, uh, that points others to you. Nah, that's not for us. But we're good. All those other yahoos are in Babylon. We made it. And so God begins to speak to them. In chapter 5, if you want a read that will make you go, like, think very profoundly about the language and the poetry of threats, look at chapter 5. I mean, it begins to say, and God essentially says, I'm going to divide you guys into a third. A third of you are going to die by famine and plague. A third of you are going to be killed by the sword. And the other third of you are going to be scattered by the winds and the sword will follow you. And it's like, whoa, no compassion. If you're going to read chapter 5, read it in the morning, not at night. Because, uh, man, you'll dream weird stuff. But in chapter 7, we, we, we get this continuation of the warning that God is giving to the people. And again, uh, context is important. They deserve all of this. Based on the relationship that they had with God and the agreements they had made to God to them and them to God, they deserve it. The consequences are just. Not because God is horrible, but because in the goodness of God that he extends an invitation to the people to engage in a relationship which is, I will give you this and you will give me that. They have not held up their end of the bargain. Sometimes we look at this like, God's so mean. And we're like, well, is he? I mean, everything that he's giving and all he's asking is this in return. And they're like, oh, no, that's too much. We'll take all the good stuff, but that other stuff too much. And so here in chapter 7, we find God through Ezekiel speaking to the people. And we'll pick it up in verse 5. It says, the Lord God proclaims disaster. A singular disaster. Look, it comes. The end has come. Oh, yes, it has come. It has come to you. Look, it's here. He says, warning, warning, warning. What's about to happen is not good. No es bueno. He says, you who live on the earth, you are finally caught in your own trap. The time has come, the day draws near. On the hills panic, no glory, and now it's near. I mean, he just continues to say that this is bad, this is bad, this is the doing of your own hands, this is bad. And we're, we're like, as a people, I mean, what do you do? Like, what do you do? What, what do we do when the news is bad? Pray, ask for mercy, 
some of us, I mean, like, whenever news is bad, we all have this interesting way of reacting, right? There's like these stages of grief and everything else. But in my family, for example, uh, there is sort of like this dark, morbid sense of humor when there's bad news. I'll give you an example. Uh, it, this was 14 years ago. It was Danya's birthday. We were all at my parents' house. So there's six of us in our family, which means that too many kids. I mean, it's just too many. We, we were, no. I say that to my siblings all the time. I'm like, there was too many of us. I'm the oldest, so it was like sort of indicating that some of you, you ruined my life. I had stuff, and then you were born, and then we had to share, and like... But we, we have this humor in our family, and, and we were all at my parents' house for the first time in years we were all together. And so we are at the mall. I think it was in Iowa. There's not a ton to do there. It was like either the mall or like hang out in the cornfields or tip cows. I can't, I mean, there was like three options, and we chose the mall. And we're all there, and, and, and my dad calls us and says, you all need to come home. We need to have a family meeting. And so we're driving like the 15 minutes back to the house and we're going, oh man. And as the oldest, I know what family meeting means. It means they're pregnant. <laughs> like, like I, I think there was only one family meeting prior that I, had that I had attended where it wasn't a pregnancy announcement. And at this point, Danya is pregnant with our oldest. And I'm like, seriously? Like, seriously, like, this is how you're going to do it. Like, we, like, first grandchild, oh, and by the way, mom's, my mom's pregnant. Great. And we get there. And, and actually, the news was devastating. So my, my mom had gone to the doctor for, to check because she wasn't feeling good. She was, and the doctor essentially told her, you have this rare form of leukemia you need to go directly to the hospital. Do not, stop, do not stop anywhere. If you're in an accident and if you get a cut, you will not make it. Like, you have zero white blood. You are, I don't know how you're standing. And my mom, who is very compliant and obedient, said, I'm going to talk to my kids first. And we all met up, and she tells us, and we're all in shock. And we're going, what is going on? And then my dad and mom leave so they can go to the hospital so she can start chemo within 12 hours. And we're all sitting there. And you're going, this is like, it's like, it's not, it's, it's this, it, it's not just a warning. It's a warning that something is bad is coming, but that it's already here, that there's nothing we can do to pull back what is happening. Which is what's happening here. There's this moment where God is speaking to the people that have abandoned relationship with him. And, and he's saying, I, I, everything in me wants to help you avoid the consequences of it, but it's too late. The cat is already out of the bag. I cannot get it back in. Like, this is happening. One of my brothers, after my parents left, we also sort of sat there. And we're going, what is going on? And one of my brothers goes to the kitchen, he comes back, and he lays down underneath a rocking chair that has been in my family for like three generations. And he starts to do this. 
And we're like, what are you doing? And he pops back out with a Sharpie. He's like, I'm putting my name on stuff. (laughs) Because, I mean, we just don't know. And I'm getting a jump start. That's how my family handles bad news. I don't know if it's healthy. I don't know if it's good. That's how we do it. So it's sort of become this running gag. If there's bad news, everybody's like, well, grab a Sharpie. The other thing that is really difficult about this message is that in verse 13, he goes on to say here that the vision concerns the whole crowd, that this is a collective warning, that it's not a warning for a few of you, that as as, as the people left in Jerusalem, as the people of God, this collective group of people, there is nobody that is going to be left out of this pain. The only one is the one giving the message, and he's living the pain now. We think about this, and we look at it, and we go, man, God, I do not understand. I read the Old Testament at times and go, I do not understand. It feels such a contrast to Jesus, who is like full of grace and mercy and says, here's a chance, and here's another chance, and here's another chance, and I love you, and you sheep ran away, I'm going to grab you. I don't know if you guys saw that meme of the sheep that was rescued out of a ditch and then it ran away and jumped back in the ditch and, and it was like sort of like this is my relationship with God and there's like Jesus pulling the sheep out and then it jumps back in. There's this eternal grace and mercy that exists and then I read this and go, what does this mean? And it's really easy for us to get caught into this understanding of God is horribly mean. There's no compassion from verse 5 into 7. There's no compassion. There's no exceptions to the rule of pain that is about to come. There is nothing left but warning and doom. And then you get to chapter 11. We see how the people responded. In chapter 11, in, the, in verse 3, the, the leaders begin to talk to the people. Because here's Ezekiel who comes and says, doom, 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 doom. And the leaders go, this is bad for us. <laughs> because it's bad for us. It's a bad look. Like, listen, elections are coming up in about six months. And this guy's saying doom. And I'm in charge. We've got to do something here. Because it's for the whole people. And so they begin to compare what's happening in Jerusalem to what's happening in Babylon. What's happening in Babylon? Benny told us about this. They're building homes. They're looking for the welfare of their city. They are building homes. They are constructing lives. They are getting married. They're having kids and grandkids. They're building businesses. They're they're doing all of these things. And essentially, they make a comparison here and they go, the leaders say, listen, it's just a matter of time till we're building homes too. Yes, Ezekiel and his big message of doom, but we're going to be all right. And then God sort of taps Ezekiel on the shoulder and says, you're going to have to tell them again. They're not listening. See, that's the first place where I begin to see a part of God that I often miss. 
God doesn't owe them a warning at all. Like, here's the thing. Like, what, he doesn't owe them a warning. There was a relationship built on trust and mutual submission. God saying, I am going to give you everything as you submit to me. And they have negated the relationship. They have walked away from the relationship. God owes them nothing. But in his kindness and his mercy and his grace, he warns them. Even though there's nothing they can do to avoid the pain or the consequences, he warns them still. And when they won't listen, he warns them again. The patience of God who is is in this place where he is having to announce the consequences that are harsh to people that he desperately loves. The mission of God from the very beginning has been union with his and communion with his creation. And that has been torn apart time and time again. And he is still about the union and communion of himself to his creation. And they are again saying no. How heartbreaking is that to say, here's bad news for somebody I love. Here is pain for those that I continue to pursue. But in his mercy, in his grace, in his loving kindness, he sends Ezekiel back to warn them. I love the way this begins to play out. The leaders are ignoring them, ignoring Ezekiel. Ezekiel comes back and he begins to speak. And in, in verse 16 of chapter 11, he says this. He says, therefore, say the Lord God, Even though I made them go far away. Now he's talking about those that have been sent to Babylon. And caused them to scatter throughout the earth. I've provided some sanctuary for them in the countries to which they've gone. So he's he's clearing up the air. He's saying, your leaders are saying, you'll build houses. And God's saying, okay, here's why they're building houses. They've paid the price by being sent into captivity. And in captivity, I'm providing sanctuary. Okay, what are we seeing here? We're seeing the heart of God. The consequences of their their separation of relationship and their decision to pursue the the, the fancy of their heart and the whims that they had instead of the relationship with the living God has led to consequences. And for those that have been sent away from their homes into captivity, he, God says, I have provided sanctuary for them. For those that are paying the consequences of this separation by being sent into captivity. And he says, therefore, I will gather you from the nations. Assemble you from the countries where you were scattered and I will give you Israel's fertile land. They will enter the land and they will remove from it all its disgusting and detestable things. In this second warning, God begins to reveal more of his heart for a people that refuse to listen to him. And he's saying, these people are scattered. You, a third of you are going to be scattered. There's going to be chaos. But what I am going to do is I will bring you back. 
that grace, that second and third and fourth and fifth chance, that is still in play. Not only will I bring you back, but I will give you the fertile land, the land of your inheritance, the land where you have prospered and will continue to prosper. I will bring you back. And all the detestable, all the things that rob us of communion and union as creator and creation, I will remove. He's telling them, listen, there is tons of grace. I cannot stop the consequence. I, I will not stop the pain. But in it, I will tell you that the hope that is to come is remarkably comforting. When that begins to play out and we begin to address a people that are rebellious and disobedient and uninterested in relationship with God as a nation... And we see the heart of God that says, I could just start all over. I've done it before. I could take a couple good ones, start all over, but I'm choosing to continue to believe that there is the mission that I have for our union and communion will be fulfilled. Even though the pain and the consequences of now are harsh and feel unbearable. And then he continues to say this through Ezekiel. I will give them a single heart. I'm going to give them union. Right now you're divided all over the place. Now hear this. I'm going to give you a single heart. I'm going to give you union. I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you connection to each other that brings life. One of the marks that God is on the move and that a people are listening to what he's saying being transformed by the love of the Father, the Scripture, and the guiding of the Holy Spirit is a single heart. It's union. Now again, we've talked about this. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. It's not that everybody believes the same thing about everything. It's that we all say everything is secondary to God, the heart of God, the person and work of Jesus, and the move of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the single heart. So he's not only talking to these people about the pain that is to come, but he's letting them into the secrets of what will be a single heart, union. That's a very comforting thing when the collective, the, the community as a whole, realizes that there is nothing they can do to stop what is to come. We spend so much of our time, so much of our time, trying to stop what is to come. Don't we? I mean, so much times, like, no, 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 we'll just, we'll just stop this, we'll stop this. And maybe there's a chance that we have to pause and say, okay, this is here. The pain, the consequences, sometimes of the things that I have chosen to do, and sometimes the things that others have done, but that have involved me in a way that makes me a part of a community of pain. Maybe we pause and say, God, show me your heart. Maybe we change our prayer from stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it to I need you, I trust you, show me your heart. And he's doing it. I will give them a single heart. And I will put a new spirit in them. 
Now again, this is similar language. I mean, we see that Ezekiel is given a warning and then the spirit lifts him. And here, the people of God are going to have a new spirit. Is it a different spirit? No. It's a change in the way the relationship with the spirit works. It's not like the old spirit didn't work, so we're going to change it out. We're going to get the new model. It comes with a warranty and everything. And we're going to put it in. No, it's that the relationship you have with the spirit, the relationship you have with each other, the relationship you have with me will change. It's going to change. How can it not? What you're about to go through will change the very way you experience the world. You're going to need a new relationship. So again, we're in this season of life where things are changing all around us. And all we want to do is get back to something that is familiar. And nothing is the same. And God says, I'm not, I'm not asking you to believe that it will be the same. I'm asking you to acknowledge that I have something new for you. There's a new relationship with me and with each other that will be better than you could ever imagine. The process from there to here is painful. The end result is beauty. I will remove the stony hearts from their bodies and give them hearts of flesh. That takes me immediately to Frozen, the movie. <laughs> Frozen's one of those movies that has been probably, like, I, I think it's one of the most quoted movies in the, the life of the church in the last 10 years. You remember, like, the, oh, the heart and it was stone and now, anyways. I've seen that thing too many times. He continues. And this, is the, this thing just keeps building and building and revealing the heart of God for, and the mission of God for his people. He does that so that they might follow my regulations and carefully observe my case laws. And again, this is not about the strict obedience. This is about the preservation of relationship. This is not about, like, do these things or there's consequences. It's like, don't do these things so there's nothing impeding our relationship. This is an invitation of God to his people saying, these things impede our relationship, and I don't want a relationship impeded with you. I want relationship, deep, profound relationship. Please stop doing these things that impede our relationship. And it's not even that it impedes God. It impedes us from engaging with him. God's heart is not turned away from his people. Their hearts are turned away from God. He's saying, please don't do these things that pull your heart in a direction other than this. He says, then they will be my people and I will be their God. Man, that's, um, you will be my people, I will be your God. We are in this together. It's the mission of God for union and communion with his creation. It is, I am your God, you are my people. We are in this together. He goes on sort of to say, those of you who decide to have your hearts run to other directions, I'll let you go. You can do it. I'm not going to fight with you. 
See, all of chapter 11 is a promise connected to the warning. It's a reminder of the warning connected to this promise. And this promise is of belonging that doesn't feel possible right now to a return to something better than that they will leave, to fertile land, to a changed heart, to a renewed spirit, to a relationship that is distinct, to where the detestable things are removed from the places that they used to be that disturbed the relationship. It is the return of their land and the, and the fertility of it and the blessing that has come from it. The prosperity that they experience there. It is a new spirit. It's undivided hearts. You know how hard it is to live with a divided heart? The juggling act it requires for me to be loyal and allegiant and connected here and here? As much as we, the modern world believes we can multitask, and some of you can, the heart cannot. The heart cannot multitask. We are the, either his and he is ours, or we are not. It cannot be that I'm part his and part this. It just doesn't work like this. The fact that the promise is an undivided heart is incredibly beautiful. That they might have a heart of flesh and not of stone. It speaks to transformation. That what was old is, is old. And thank goodness, because it wasn't worth reviving. It's transformation. It's something brand new. It is a new relationship that allows me to embrace the new world that I live in. It confirms my identity that I am his and he is mine. The insecurity of being made aware of the consequences and pain of my decisions does not remove my identity from me. I am still his and he is still mine. I still must walk through the consequences. And this is a collective people. We must walk through the consequences. We might walk through the pain. But the promise is that I will continually be reminded of my identity as he transforms everything in me and my community for his glory and for the good of his kingdom. There's also this gentleness of, and if you don't want me, I won't force you. We miss this so often in the Old Testament and even in the prophets. Is if, we, if we look and hear the tenor of the warnings of God. There's in this, this tenderness that says, I desperately want you. I desperately desire a relationship with you. It is, breaks my heart that we are not connected. But if you don't want me, I won't force you. As a people of God, it should make us run to him. And ultimately, what it leads to is freedom. And the freedom is a permanent indwelling of the Spirit with us. 
This is actually mirrors Ezekiel. Ezekiel is given a warning and then the spirit lifts him. And here there is a warning and then the promises that speak to the spirit lifting them. To the indwelling, the permanent indwelling of the spirit with them. That the internal transformation will lead to external changes which will reinforce the relationship and the bonds that have that will keep the heart pointed into relationship with God. New heart, new behavior, new relationship, new everything. In the midst of the warning of the pain to come, there is the promise of the relationship that has always been available. Warnings are hard. They just are, especially when it's collective, when it's like a whole group of people. It's like really difficult. And we're living in times right now that depending on where you're getting your information, there's warnings everywhere. I mean, there's warnings and then we, and and then we freak out. And and here's what I want to say about that. There's, there's a lot of warnings right now that, that, that us as a nation, the United States, which is, we're really, I think we should realize the, the blessing that it is to live here, actually. With all its faults, with all, because if you show me a country without faults, then I'll show you a people that, that are really scared to talk about things. But for all our faults, there is a freedom here that allows us to do this, which is a privilege. We shouldn't take it for granted. There's a, we live in a place where we are able to vocally dissent without fear of like the military coming in and we can say, hey, I don't agree with this. That's a, that's a big deal. For, you know, when, when I've lived and I've been around the world, people look at that with awe. Like, wow, you're allowed to... It's like, yeah, it's great. There's a lot of language that's being used now about sort of like the demise that is going to be our nation based on a lot of things and depends on where you are on the spectrum and I just want to speak to it and say this so 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 there's a bunch of people that think this we see the heart of God for people we see the heart of God for people and the heart of God for people is is that they are pointed towards him Like, not once does he talk to these people and say, here's what's coming, so resist it with all you have. What he says is, here's what's coming, and the first thing you should do is point yourself to me. It doesn't mean that the second thing isn't resistance. What it means is the first thing is point to me. That the priority of all this, collectively as a people, as my people, the first thing you should do is point your hearts towards me. And so as I look at the world and, and, and I have these conversations with in, sometimes with the voices in my own head and sometimes with real people, as I navigate, like, what does this mean? And, and I, I pray and say, God, what are you doing? And Holy Spirit, what are you moving? And I, we want to, and then as there's some, if you, depending on generations, some people really sort of talking about what this means as far as Jesus coming back and is it now? And then what do we do? And I keep being reminded of this. 
the first thing we always do, whether he's coming back tomorrow or in a hundred years or in a thousand years or in a million years, whether us as a nation are going through a crucible that is going to lead to questions about our freedom and our liberties to pursue faith vocally and openly, whatever it is that might be there to whisper in our ear the fear and the chaos and the pain that could come, our first response is to remember that he's invited us into relationships, so we need to point towards him. Our first response. Our first response is, and this is where the people, it shows where the people's heart was. Their first response was not to point relationally towards the creator. Their first response was to say, no, 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 it's not going to be that bad. Their first response was like, okay, let's make a plan. We better, okay, we're going to add defense. We're going we're gonna to up the ante on the borders and we're going to, like, I mean, the the walls around Jerusalem were going to... No, their first response indicated the posture of their heart and the reason the consequences were coming. Regardless of what is happening in the world around us and how it affects us, our first response should be pointed towards him and saying, come what may, nothing will distract me from the mission of God to be in union and communion with his creation. My first response is that. My secondary response will be whatever it will be. But as an individual and collectively, our first response is to point towards him. And we do that because we see the kindness in his invitation. We see the mercy he extends to us, the belonging that he, attri- that he attributes to our relationship with him. We see the new relationship that he offers a people that have completely rejected him. We see a new heart and a new spirit. When we feel and see hard things, scary things, we need to remember the heart of God for us as individuals, and as a people. And point back to that again and again and again. As Carla, Abigail, and the team come back up, I'm going to go back to this story, the Sharpie story. You know, that was, that day was one of those days where I'll never shake that day. Danya and I, uh, Danya was pregnant with our oldest, and we were a couple months from moving to Mexico. This has been a thing that God had been speaking to us, and we, had, we took these steps of obedience. We were, like, moving everything. We we're just moving to Mexico, trusting that he had a plan for our lives, trusting that we were obeying what he was doing, you know, pointing our hearts towards him, and then chaos breaks out. And as much as I joke about our, my family, uh, they're amazing. I love them desperately. And I'm the oldest. I, I have an identical twin. He's five minutes younger, which just means that I won our first fight. That's all it means. Um, that means I'm also the oldest. And there's a, like a weight of responsibility that I took based on that in the moment that my mom is saying, there is really bad news. There is pain, there is uncertainty, and quite frankly, 
short of a, like a miracle, there's nothing that can be avoided yet. And I remember being there and my mom is giving the news and we all, like different people are responding in different ways. Some people are crying. One of my siblings was getting very visibly angry and I was just sort of stoked because in my mind, I began to do all the, the work I needed to figure out how I was gonna do my part in this. I, I just began to go, okay, so I, we, we have a move planned in two months to go to Mexico. We're just gonna switch the destination. We're gonna come to Iowa. I'm gonna figure out how to take care of my siblings and my dad as my dad takes care of my mom. You know, we're gonna just do it. That's what, we're, that's what I have to do. My dreams, the things that God has spoken to us, they, th that is secondary to the pain of this moment and the worry of what will happen. And I, and I remember distinctly the responsibility and the weight of that on my shoulders. And I, I'm sure every one of my siblings was having a similar response in their own way. And, and this is what my mom did, which I think reveals to me the heart of God and the tenderness he has for us, and the reason it's so easy for us to continue to trust him and point our heart to him even when there's chaos all around. She went around to every single one, starting with the youngest. Now again, she had just been told that she possibly had hours to live and that her outlook was not good and that pain was coming and it was unavoidable and it is what it is. And she stopped and she talked to my younger sibling, the next one, the next one, the next one. She spoke life, she spoke into them, and then, and they all were similar to what she spoke to me, but to their specific situation. And she looked at Danya and I, and she said, God has called you to Mexico. It's undeniable. That's where the spirit is moving. There's something going on there. You're supposed to go. And then she's, she said, I release you from the responsibility you feel towards me. Go. Obey. Do what God has called you to do. Because he is my source. Because my heart is pointed towards him not towards the chaos of the situation and not towards the chaos around me, but it's pointed towards him and so should yours. You see, it is unavoidable that we will face pain. It is unavoidable that we will face consequences, some for the actions we have committed and some for the actions committed against us. It is unavoidable. But it is also unavoidable that his heart is pointed towards us and inviting us into relationship with him where he takes our heart of stone and turns it into a heart of flesh where he gives us a new relationship with the spirit and with him. Yes, there's chaos. Yes, there are warnings. Yes, there is pain. But there's also hope. There's also invitation and presence and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And there's always a posture towards us. 
your responsibility is not to fix the chaos or avoid the pain. Your responsibility, our responsibility individually and collectively is to point our hearts undivided towards the creator whose mission is for union and communion with his creation. As we worship, I'm going to ask that you experience the love of God in this moment through the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that reminds you of who you are, that you are his people and he is your God. And then we'll come back and we'll partake of communion. I also feel like the invitation, and that's what we're going to respond, is an opportunity to confess. Um, the song that we're about to do is an opportunity for us to confess and repent of what we have done. We have heard his goodness, his love for us, his promise, but we also have to humble ourselves and, and confess our wrongs and what has separated us. So I invite you to just take a moment and maybe think about some of those things and then we're going to corporately confess and ask for forgiveness.
we sang, forgive us, forgive us, Lord, have mercy. And if you're sitting here or you're watching us at home or wherever you're watching us from, and you're, you feel like, like there's a pounding inside of you, that's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit saying, make it right with me. Make it right with me today. Make it right with me. This is the day of redemption for you. What you have done in your past, what you did, what was done to you does not mark you. What marks you is my forgiveness and the shedding of the blood in the cross and the resurrection and the power that you now have through me. That's what mar that, that is what marks you. You don't walk through this world with all the sins that you have done. You walk through this world with one category, and that is forgiven. You are forgiven. Through Christ, you are forgiven. And to be part of it, you only have to say yes. You only have to say yes, I want it. I, I need Jesus in my life today. So if that's you, just say yes, I want you. Yes, I receive you in my heart. Yes, yes, I say yes. I don't understand everything right now, but I say yes. I need forgiveness. I accept you, Christ. I believe that you are the Son of God, risen from the dead. Come inside my heart. Amen. Listen, we're going to take communion together. You should have your elements. There should be something right near your chair, right near where you're sitting. If you don't have it, just raise your hand and somebody will grab one for you. We're going to do this together. As a church, like Josh said, we're going to do this together in unity, in unity and the platform that unifies us is worship and praise to God. He is above all our quarrels. He is above all our disagreements. It's like my father-in-law, my father-in-law who was here and spoke that Jesus and the spirit in me doesn't have a quarrel with the spirit in you. So let us put that other stuff aside and come together in unity, in communion, and saying it one voice, he is worthy. Listen to this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. So go ahead. Let's take the bread. And let's remember the sacrifice that he did for us. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So go ahead and drink. And Lord, as we take your bread, and as we take the cup, 
we remember your sacrifice and we remember that we are under a new covenant. The covenant of forgiveness, the covenant of grace, the covenant of redemption. And let's take a moment, just a few seconds, to get ourselves, our hearts right with God. Our desire for you this week is that you encounter the tenderness and kindness of your creator whose mission is unchanging, desires union and communion with you. That regardless of where your heart has been pointed, that you have the courage to point it towards him. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the pain, that you might experience a new relationship, a heart made of flesh and not a stone, a new relationship with the Spirit, and life abundant. If you'd like prayer and you're here, we'll have people on the sides here to pray as we close. And online, there's a link there. If you'd like prayer, you can just click that. But as you go, this is our prayer. May the living God, que el Dios vivo, creator of all the heavens and the earth, creador del cielo y de la tierra, may he richly bless you and keep you. Que él te bendiga y te guarde. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Que él haga su rostro resplandecer sobre ti y te dé su gracia. May he smile on you and fill you with his peace. Que Dios mismo te sonría y te dé su paz. You have been and continue to be extravagantly loved by our Father. Has sido siempre y sigue siendo hoy extravagantemente amado por tu Padre Celestial. Go do the same. Ve y haz lo mismo. Have a great week of worship and we'll see you here next week. If you need prayer, please step towards this side and parents, go get your kiddos.